glutathione is one of our central antioxidants. It's a central detox molecule. It's you know doing all kinds of heavy lifting around detox and free radical control. And as it's uh, quenching free radicals, it becomes oxidized and it needs to be re-reduced back into the reduced form. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi, friends. If you're like me, you're kind of like, uh, not I wouldn't say obsessed, right, but very interested, shall we say, in uh, reversing biological age. Uh, It's something that I track on multiple markers um, pretty regularly just to see how I'm doing in terms of inflammation levels, in terms of glucose control, uh, different blood work, doing things like like an age testing. Um, I'm now doing a methylation test to look at aging. And it's such an interesting area because I think, you know, we have our chronological age, but then we also have our biological age. And it's fascinating when you start to realize there's so much that you can do to stay kind of youthful and healthy. And we want to be extending our health span and our wellness, uh, not just our lifespan. And that's why I'm so excited for today's episode, because I am sitting down with Dr. Chris Shade. And he is the founder of Quicksilver Scientific. And if you go onto their website, actually, you'll see the longevity wheel that we're talking about in this episode. And he breaks it down beautifully for you. Um, We talk about NAD, we talk about sirtuins, we talk about how to activate AMPK and NRF2, we talk about the neuroendocrine system, we talk about how to use senolytics, and also telomeres. So this is like a really great episode if you want to know more about the mechanisms of aging and how much control you have over that process and the things you can start doing to really start living younger. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to Dr. Chris Shade. Hey, Chris, it's awesome to have you here. I'm so fi- I'm so happy that we finally got this sorted. I know we tried to meet up at the summer and could, at the summit, it couldn't make it happen. It's great to have you here, albeit a few months later. <laughs> a few months and a couple thousand miles, but <laughs> yeah. That's true. I think it's my my early evening and your morning by yes. time differences. Yep. So it's good to see you. Um, we were just talking offline. One of the things I'm most excited to talk to you about is the longevity wheel that you created, because it's kind of often when I look at longevity and people's interest in that area and their expertise, they look at kind of or focus on one area like NAD optimization or something like that. Yours yeah. puts everything together in such a cool graphical way that's that's like not sim- that simple to understand because I know it's very in depth but easy for people to look at at a glance and understand kind of how things fit together. Um, how did you come about creating the longevity wheel, Farsi? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember, you know, I, I, I think you start, you know, you're always whiteboarding stuff and, you know, we have a lot of different products and we're like, okay, what do we need to fit in and how do we talk about longevity? And so we just came up with this six, pronged wheel that's bringing up the most important factors that you can affect with supplementation. And so like, we don't have stem cells on there, uh, but you know, that definitely feeds into it. But what are the, the, the levers in the body that you can really work with? And so you'll see at the top, you know, just to like lay out what it is. So at the top, there's NRF2 and AMPK. And some people don't know what those are, but 
Uh, AMPK is what you hit when you fast. And so if you're into longevity, fasting, carb restriction, uh, water fasting, intermittent fasting, all those things activate AMPK, which is what you activate when you run out of food. And that then mobilizes fats and turn them into ketones, increases cardiometabolic efficiency, decreases insulin resistance, turns up insulin sensitivity, uh, and really big for longevity, it activates autophagy, the self-eating. That's where you're going in and you're taking old parts of cells, like say broken down mitochondria, ill-functioning mitochondria, or whole cells, and breaking them down, you put them in this a lysosome, you dissolve them back into their constituent points and you recycle their parts. So you get, when you run out of food basically, you recycle proteins from your cells and you mobilize fat for energy. And that's really big for getting rid of old dying equipment inside of you. And it's very tied into the idea of senescent cells and breaking down senescent cells. Now, so that's AMPK and NRF2. So AMPK you can see is sort of this biological detoxification, old burned out parts of you accumulated uh, protein stores. It's called the unfolded protein response, old, old broken proteins. Uh, so that's cleaning you up inside. And then NRF2 is more of a response to environmental triggers like toxins, but it can also be a response to oxidative stress. So NRF2 turns up all of your free radical control and detoxification machinery in the body. So you'd see how that's kind of core to keeping everything functioning. That's why it's the top one. So you go from there, then you go to NAD, which we're going to talk about that a lot. You go down to sirtuins uh, from there. Uh, telomeres are at the bottom. Then you have senolytics or, you know, dealing with senescent cells and then <clears throat> the neuroendocrine system. So all of these, you know, as we can start to unpack all of these, you see these are all things that you can work on. You can take supplements for and they're all bringing up. Uh, a younger version of your body. In, in your operating systems, you've got a lot of different ways that the cells can express themselves. And it's based on resources uh, that are available to the cell and the environment and the extracellular uh, environment and the intracellular environment. So in a cell that's got a lot of toxins in it, the, uh, all these things kind of break down. Like Toxicity lowers NAD levels. It damages mitochondria. And mitochondria are kind of at the center of this whole wheel. Everything's feeding into mitochondrial function. So when the toxins come in, they can cause telomere attrition, they lower NAD levels, that turns the turns you into a mitochondrial dysfunction. And that mitochondrial dysfunction leads into the cells being in a senescent state. Uh, if you look at the neuroendocrine, the, the, uh, the damage to the mitochondria is going to stop neuroendocrine functioning. And uh, sirtuins, so anytime you get all of these damage factors going in and these toxin factors going in, everything's like on a knife age, edge. And the body can go into, it can go bad into this inflammatory cycle. Uh, or it can go good into this inflammation control cycle. So on the good side, 
you have sirtuin activation, you're getting rid of senescent cells or reversing senescent cells, you have a healthy NAD levels in the body. And each of these, they fit back and reinforce one another. And then you're controlling inflammation, you're bringing up longevity genes, uh, the sirtuins, the foxos, and you're suppressing the inflammatory state called nuclear factor kappa B. So that's the sirtuin way. And then the other way, so we call that certs, and then the other way is sips. Those are, I colloquially, colloquially call them shitty inflammatory processes, but it also stands for stress-induced premature senescence. And that, I said, when the toxins come in, and you kind of scuttle all the good stuff and you activate this pathway called nuclear factor kappa B, which then drives the cells into senescence, uh, consumes NAD, brings down NAD, turns off sirtuins, uh, shuts down uh, NRF2 and damages the neuroendocrine system. So the whole thing is about going this way or this way. And then as you evaluate your supplements, you say, am I feeding all of these major parts of the wheel. Interesting, which I want to dive into uh, with you because I, I'm looking. I'm looking at the wheel as I'm as I'm speaking to you, and there are like very targeted therapies that you can use on each. Before we go into those, when you look at the way that people are aging, um, and some people do seem to be aging even without sort of this supplementation. Some people seem to be aging more slowly, ostensibly, and they seem to have higher energy. There are other people who you can kind of look at them, right? And they look like yeah. they're aging faster. What yeah. do you think are the key things? Like if we if we don't want to age quickly, that we should be avoiding, first of all? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, genetics has a big thing to play in that. But uh, again, when you when you look at this, you know, are you over on this slow aging, thriving side, or this rapid aging in, you know, inflammatory side, we call it inflammaging. So what's going to tip the needle? Now, obviously your inputs, if you're eating crappy food all the time, if you're really high on carbs, call it carbotoxicity or glycotoxicity, you're always going to move yourself towards this inflammatory side. Uh, the toxins that you're exposed to all the time, uh, again, those can be from the food, they can be uh, <clears throat> from the air you breathe when you're living in the city. Uh, it, in, in your buildings, if you have moldy buildings or poor circulation, these are all just toxic drivers that are going to flip you over into inflammation. And then, you know, when, when once people are toxic and inflamed, they tend to get chronic infections, which also keep you over here on this side. So it's really about keeping a clean environment around you, uh, getting great sleep and there, that means controlling your environment, having the right amounts of light, not having uh, blue lights, uh, excess blue light at night, being able to black out curtains, and shutting down excess EMF exposure around you. I mean, often, you know, we're so worried about the water we drink, but we're not worried about how many wireless uh, routers are in our bedroom or, you know, how, you know, the quality of the, of the electricity coming through. And then, of course, you know, what's the quality of the air where you sleep? So these are just some, some of the sort of basics to, to stay away from. And, and also, of course, 
getting regular movement and exercise. And that doesn't mean you're doing, you know, hit workouts every day of the week, but you do need to get up and, and move blood and do resistance training. So those are all just simple lifestyle things that keep you over on the good side. Mm. Interesting. And I just want to pick up what you were saying there in relation to um, genetics. How much of it do you think is controlled? Obviously, we have the power to kind of put into place these lifestyle measures to positively influence our genes but how much of that process in terms of how rapidly we age do you think we have control over you know it's hard to put a number on it is it 50 50 50 genetics and 50 you know your environment uh it may be i mean some people just have such good genetics they kind of over overrun everything else you know they're like well i keep the basics in check and you know i uh and i age really well and you know so maybe it's 60 percent genes but there is a lot that we can affect i mean the directions really are strongly uh affected by what you do and you know we'll probably talk more about the uh genetic methylation tests like the two true age test and that could be the absolute uh biological clock like the sinclair clock uh sorry the horvath clock or it could be the rate of aging the dunedin pace and the people who developed that, you know, they really found that people could have very different rate at which they age. You know, they could double the rate of aging on themselves pretty easily or slow that way down. Uh, so, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, what the, you know, what the percent is, but uh, there, there's a lot that you can control. Mm, a lot. So when we let's start at the top of the wheel, because I think it's really interesting. So the AMPK and NRF2 pathway, there's a yep. number of compounds there that move the needle. And some of these are featured in other areas as well. Um, and this is really about regulating autophagy and metabolic health. Can you yep. explain um, some of these like lipoic acid and berberine? Like here I'm thinking about, you know, blood glucose control, for example, but you've also got yep. DIM and quercetin. Can you explain the key things here? Because it's really interesting. And would you advise that people were supplementing with all of the compounds or would it be looking at testing like different areas where they may need support? Yeah, you know, if you, if you look at like our product line, we have, there's these two sort of like brother, uh, brother products. One's called liver sauce, and one's called AMPK charge. The AMPK charge also used to be called Keto Before Six. It was this play off a book called Vegan Before Six, where you eat plant-based all day and then have animal-based at night. And in that AMPK charge or Keto Before Six, if you have that in the morning fasted, you'll go right into ketosis. You'll be able to measure ketones right in your blood, uh, unless you're really cardiometabolically unfit. It might take a couple doses to do that. But most people, one dose, boom, you're making ketones. And then at night, you can have carbs again. Then the next day, cycle back in and make some ketones. Uh, and there's that. And then the liver sauce is more. Of, and so that's about activating AMPK and getting into autophagy and ketosis. The liver sauce is more about activating NRF2, which is that inner detoxification. And there's a couple of compounds that are in both, like quercetin does both. It's an NRF2 upregulator and an AMPK activator. And it turns out most things have some of both that are in that category. And they're just a little harder on this one versus that one. Like uh, like podcast is great NRF2 upregulator. It's also an AMPK activator. Quercetin is about equal on both sides. Uh, berberine is a little bit of NRF2, but more AMPK. And so 
there's a lot of overlap. Both both uh, products have uh, silymarin and quercetin and dim in them because they both do both. But then the AMPK charge has berberine and resveratrol and cinnamon, which are strong AMPK activators. Uh, and on the other side, you know, the liver sauce, we have more things that are aimed at uh, at bioflow because detoxification has to be coupled to bioflow. And so it kind of depends what you want to do. You don't have to do all of them, but, you know, I, and I also like people to sort of cycle between things. You know, one of the errors that people make, and uh, I was uh, doing a, a webinar with Mindy Pels last night. She was talking about women fasting and what they'll do wrong is they'll start on some sort of fasting protocol, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll fast 16 hours a day. And it'll work well for them at fir first, but then they just stay on that. And then it start, stops working well and it starts working against them because we do need to cycle. You don't just do something all the time. And this is a, it's a biohack error that, that uh, people often do is just do the same thing all the time because they heard that it helped. You know, we need to cycle some of these things. So uh, yeah, you have all these different compounds and they all, you know, a lot of them are MPK activators, some are NRF2 activators. Some of these are also then sirtuin activators. Uh, and like Quercetin kind of does all of these different things. Like Quercetin can help uh, turn mitochondrial biogenesis up through this mechanism called PGC1-alpha, which is a sirtuin-based mechanism. And as a sirtuin-based mechanism, it also needs NAD. So as we start unpacking and going through these, we'll see there's a lot of interrelationship between them. Mm. And NAD, when we're looking at that, NAD, my understanding is this kind of halves every, is it every 20 years? So it's kind of starts to really, you've got like vastly reduced, right? I'm approaching, I'm 47. So coming up towards 50, my levels will be kind of vastly reduced now compared to my 20s. If yeah, I'm doing yeah I think that, that might be a little overstated that it cuts in half, okay. but it's definitely going down. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because um, yeah, yeah sorry. it's something that goes down with age. And one of the reasons is you start consuming it a lot. And so uh, when we think about NAD, we got to think about why it's going down. And, you know, age brings a lot of things down. But one of the reasons that really drive the NAD consumption are inflammatory processes. And one of them is uh, a, a gene damage thing. So as we accumulate damage to the genes, these things called PARPs get upregulated because they're you know, desperately trying to keep you from uh, creating tumors. And so they start consuming all of this NAD to keep your, your genes repaired. Another one is called CD38. And when, remember I said there's this sirtuin way or this inflammatory way. Once you get into that inflammatory path, nuclear factor kappa B gets activated, which is a chronic inflammatory pathway. And that activates the CD38s and they're trying to repair things and they don't always know why it's kind of reckless and they consume NAD. So NAD is being sucked down by damage to the system. And then we need, you know, when you're young, you can make NAD very easily from any vitamin B3. Remember NAD is a nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, like nicotinic acid or nicotinamide, those are precursors for it. And then when we get older, it's harder to uh, recycle our NAD and it's harder to make it from simple vitamin B3. So we start using these advanced precursors, nicotinamide mononucleotide, NMN, or nicotinamide riboside, NR.
And um, when I look at like, for example, like Dr. David Sinclair, for example, how much NMN he would be taking and things like that, it seems like quite big amounts. How much do we need to to take really to optimize this? So we do it in a liposome. So we get about fourfold the uh, the absorption of four to five fold the absorption of when you just take it in a powder. It might actually be more. It's really hard to measure NAD. The NAD metabolome in the body is very difficult to track. But uh, you know, for me, you know, I do about 100 milligrams a day in the liposome form. Say that's 400 milligrams. So I think you know, somewhere around three to 400 milligrams a day of one of the precursors tends to be enough. I think Sinclair takes a full gram. That gets a little bit pricey, and maybe it's a little mm-hmm. more than you need. But you know, if you can afford to uh, take a little more, I don't see why not. The one thing that people miss, though, is balancing it with methylation. Is as you're driving, the NAD cycle, once you make NAD, NAD activates a sirtuin. So I'm sort of making this circle up here. So your NAD up there, you activate a sirtuin, you're then turned to nicotinamide, which is sort of the spent NAD. And then you have something called the recycling pathway that takes it back up to NMN, and then NMN goes to NAD. Now, that path from nicotinamide to NMN is driven by NAMPT, it's an enzyme, and that one gets down, gets turned down by inflammation. So these, the same aging process makes that weaker and weaker. So aging is consuming NAD and limiting your ability to recycle NAD. And so then you've got this nicotinamide and you're not able to get it back up the hill and the problem then is that the nicotinamide itself is inhibiting the sirtuin activation. It gets stuck on the, the activated sirtuin. So you need to sweep it away. And you do that by methylating it and then peeing it out as methyl nicotinamide. And so how do you methylate it? It's an enzyme that donates the methyl group from SAMe, S-adenosylmethionine. So SAMe is your universal methylation donor in your body. It's super important. When it goes low, you've got depression issues, you've got mitochondrial issues, and you're consuming it. And when you consume it, you generate S-adenosylhomocysteine, which then becomes homocysteine. So homocysteine then is a pro-inflammatory cardiotoxin. And... It's all right, as long as you're bringing it back to methionine. So you've got a cycle called the methionine cycle where you bring it back to methionine. And that interacts with also the, the methylfolate cycle, the folate cycle, the MTHFR driving that over. So you need adequate methyl donors from trimethylglycine, from methyl B12. You need the catalytic effect of B2 on MTHFR. You need some B9 in there. When that's all running, then that's fine. So when you're driving uh, precursors to NAD in, you also have to drive in methyl groups to be able to get rid of the spent NAD. As long as you're doing both of those, you can go up to a high level of dosing. But like I said, you know these lower couple hundred milligram doses of the precursors uh, tend to be enough. So if you were driving that process, right, and that recycling, you're helping that, which is the salvage pathway, right? But you're not taking account of giving the methyl donors sufficiently, 
then could you then end up with a problem? So if people are taking kind of NAD precursors, but then now, yeah. now they're folate deficient, for example, they don't have yeah. enough trimethylglycine and things like that. Could that then cause a problem effectively? Yeah, it's going to drive even more uh, methylation deficiency, hypomethylation. And, you know, you're hoping that the NAD is going to light up your brain. But if you're deficient in all these B vitamins, you're going to have a problem there. In fact, there was one guy who was a friend of mine. He was taking uh, NMN. And I noticed that he was like phasing a little bit neurologically. He was like, whoa. And, and I caught him in it. And I'm like, have you been doing? He's like, yeah, that's been happening recently. And I was like, here, you need more methyl donors. And we, we gave him more of our methyl charge and just fixed it right like that. Uh, and, you know, and his uh, family, you know, they've, they're predisposed to Parkinson's and different neurodegenerative things. And so you need a lot of methyl, methyl groups for those people. And then the more under stress you are, uh, the more methyl groups you generally need. And so that's something, you know, we're taking the NAD to, you know, increase our performance. We, we got to make sure that the methyl groups are there or you can actually hurt yourself. Very, super, super interesting. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, most people, I mean, most of the real smart people now picked onto this because I've been yeah. beating that drum for, it's not, I didn't, you know, discover that, but I've been beating the drum on that pretty hard. And so a lot of people are putting TMG in their, uh, in their NAD infusions or they're making them take it other different ways. Uh, and so that, that word's getting out there, which is good. Mm, yeah, really good. Um, it's definitely something I take. And the situans then, we come to the next part right. here. Um, and again, some of these overlap, right? So when we were looking at AMPK, for example, resveratrol um, and quercetin, how do we activate these um, these situants? And is it the, the supplements that you or the compounds that you've got here, are they all in a blend? Is it something a case of like taking yeah, all it's of these? Because sometimes we hear of people picking them off, right? I'm taking tyrosteline and things like that. I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, so you, you look like our AMPK charge, you know, it's an AMPK activator, it's also a sirtuin activator. I often say what's begun with AMPK is codified in the system with sirtuins. Uh, so the AMPK is like, oh, we got to start doing stuff here. And then you start, when you start activating sirtuins, they kind of encode it into the system and create more longevity to those pathways. So what do you need to <coughs> activate a sirtuin? Now we think about stacks, sirtuin activating compounds, terastilbene, resveratrol, Quercetin is one, curcumin is one. Uh, and they, uh, the sirtuin protein has these different docking areas in it. One is for NAD. And another, another one takes these different plant compounds that are sirtuin activators. So first you need NAD to activate it and then resveratrol, quercetin go in and hyperactivate it. So you have a highly activated sirtuin. Uh, and it's funny, you know, we have we have two different products. One's called AMPK Charge. Another one uh, is, is uh, now I even forgot the name of it. It's, it's in a capsule and it's called the Sirtuin Activator. It's almost exactly the same product. <laughs> it's just people need these cues that, oh, this one's for Sirtuins. And you don't need to, AMPK is better to stack a couple different ones. The Sirtuin activation, maybe not as important. It's okay, you know, like, what does Sinclair do? He does NMN and uh, NMN and resveratrol. Now, Guarente, who was one of his advisors when he was in grad school, he does NR 
and terastilbene, you know, because he's aligned with Chromadex and they sell those products. And then uh, Sinclair is making his own pharmaceutical company to uh, to sell NMN. And he's actually kind of screwed all of us in the uh, supplement world because he's gotten the and it, he's gotten the FDA despite approving uh, all the applications for NMN as a supplement. They now said, no, you can't use NMN. It was a drug already. Uh, we just didn't realize it was a drug. And Sinclair has this company. And now you have to stop selling NMN. That's just a little side political note there. But again, sirtuins need NAD to activate them. And then they can have this uh, extra sirtuin activator act on them. Remember, though, if the nicotinamide builds up, then that blocks them. So you need the methyl groups to free up the sirtuin activity, then you need the NAD, then you can have the sirtuin activated compound. Now, one of the reasons why there's uh, conflicting data around resveratrol, and some of the data said resveratrol was making the people worse. Because if you jam in a ton of resveratrol, you will force the sirtuins to activate and they will draw NAD out of the mitochondrial pool to activate the sirtuin and you'll end up with an NAD deficient mitochondria and you'll generate mitochondrial dysfunction. Whereas if there was enough NAD and you throw in the resveratrol, you actually generate more mitochondria. Mitochondrial biogenesis needs uh, NAD and sirtuin activators uh, with it for that to happen. So sirtuin activation is a great thing, but you got to make sure that your NAD pool is intact when you really go after that path. And when we've, uh, when we've looked at using these compounds in these nanoemulsion formats, and we looked at activation of the sirtuins in white blood cells, uh, we saw a single dose of these compounds was able to uh, create a, about a threefold, two to threefold increase in sirtuin activation. And that 24 hours after the dose, it was still activated. So, you know, these are, these are potent molecules for getting sirtuins up in the system. Yeah. So it would be risky then to take something like resveratrol without optimizing for NAD. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, and that would be like a case where somebody's older, and maybe cardiometabolically unfit, and you're trying this one hit wonder thing. We're gonna fix you with resveratrol. You may break them. As we close out 2023, it is a great time for reflection and also for planning your 2024. And one of the key areas to achieving any goals in life is health. It really is the foundation and the bedrock of all success. And the first thing really is to address what your health looks like right now in terms of the key areas and to start with what I call the domino. And the domino effect really is the one thing that you can start implementing straight away that makes everything else easier. So for some people that would be sleep. For other people it would be eating a healthier diet or managing their blood sugar. For others it could be getting into a workout regimen. We know that people who work out tend to um, eat better for the rest of the day if they're working out for example in the morning. There will be that domino for you but the first thing to do is to get a snapshot of where you're at and we can help you do that with our biohacking hit quiz. If you head over to yourtotalhealthcheck.com you can take a 60 seconds quiz and we will score you on each area of sleep 
hormones and HRV, insights you're tracking, how you're fueling your body and mind and how you're training your body and mind. And we will send you a personalized report complete with recommendations on how to improve. We'll also offer you a free call with one of my coaches to go through your report and find out what that domino is for you. So you can start implementing measures ahead of 2024 and get yourself into the best shape and vitality to achieve your goals next year. If you want to get that snapshot of where you are right now with a free personalized report and a call to help you find your domino, head over to yourtotalhealthcheck.com. That's yourtotalhealthcheck.com. And then we move to telomeres, which uh, is interesting. So I don't know if you briefly explain. Yeah. I always uh, hear it explained as being like these almost compared to shoelaces and the tips here. Yeah, you, you, you've got yeah the, the tips of the shoelaces, the, the tips of the chromosome, and mm-hmm. they serve this protective mechanism uh, for the chromosome, but it's, it's a little bit more mystical than we even acknowledge. So as these tips shorten, there's a lot, there's a degradation of the integrity of the genome. And, and you start to think about it and you're like, well, they must protect on the end. And it must be these genes right near the end that get sort of frayed and they don't work right. Well, the gene that's not working well because of the the shortened telomeres may be all the way inside here. So it's almost, uh, you know, it's like a holographic view of the light field of DNA and the caps are keeping the integrity of the hologram. And when the caps start whittling away, the hologram gets dysfunctional and it can't project the image of the healthy cell, the healthy being. And what happens then, it's called telomere attrition, and certain toxins do it very, very well. Then the cell moves into a senescent pattern. It does that through a mitochondrial mechanism. The mitochondria get dysfunctional and they start releasing pro-inflammatory cytokines. And the cell goes into a cell cycle arrest where it stops propagating and it just sits there in this zombie-like uh, state. Now we say zombie-like because it can bite the cell next to it and turn it into a zombie. How does it bite? Well, it releases these cytokines that are pro-inflammatory and they're spreading out and infecting other cells. Other cells can carry that signal to go into senescence as well. And so it's a propagating field of uh, degradative inflammation. And these inflammatory cytokines are the ones that start consuming NAD and shifting you into this inflammatory downward spiral state. And so we need to protect, you know, there's a lot of different theories on how do we deal with the telomeres. Now, one, you got to protect them. That means having AMPK and NRF2 active so that you can uh, you can break down uh, bad mitochondria and get them out of the system. So you can intercept the toxins going in before they create uh, telomere attrition. And then there's an enzyme called telomerase that is trying to maintain their length. And so you need that active. Now that is much, you know, there's a supplement called TA65 that's supposed to speed that up, but it pretty negligible effect. It's hard to take something that really changes that activity, except for the peptide epitalin that is shown to, uh, to change uh, telomere size. All right. So 
The other thing that maintains telomerase working is having a lot of glutathione in the reduced phase. So glutathione is one of our central antioxidants. It's a central detox molecule. It's you know doing all kinds of heavy lifting around detox and free radical control. And as it's uh, quenching free radicals, it becomes oxidized and it needs to be re-reduced back into the reduced form. And NRF2 is, well, it's reduced by something called glutathione reductase. And uh, glutathione reductase puts electrons back on the oxidized glutathione that it gets from NAD's sister molecule, NADPH. So now we see this overlap between NAD pools and the reductant NADPH and its ability to keep NA, uh, glutathione in the reduced state. And then the reduced glutathione is keeping the telomerase active. So all these things are overlapping. So keeping uh, glutathione levels up, keeping NRF2 active, which helps you make more glutathione reductase and helps you make more glutathione is helping protect the telomeres. Interesting. And when you're looking at like the like inflammation comes up, obviously, time and again here, if we wanted to test levels of inflammation within our body for these purposes, there are so many ways that you could look at this in terms of inflammatory markers. What are the key uh, markers we should be looking at? We don't have a lot of good inflammatory markers. You know, CRP is one, but once CRP is up, there's some chronic infection you're fighting. Uh, it's not as much uh, about, you know, this, like, if we had better measures of, like, NF-kappa-B, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people trying to get these into more commercial availability is all the different inflammatory markers. Uh, one way is to look at subsets of uh, your white blood cells. And so those tests are starting to come around. But there's not a, not a great one to point to right now, uh, but it, it will eventually be measuring low levels of different inflammatory cytokines and looking at the grouping of all of these different inflammatory cytokines and how high they are. And you know, the, um, I don't know if you come across the test, uh, the glycans test by a company called Glycan Age. They seem to look yeah. at like, uh, the immune system. And yeah, and that's dam That's inflammatory damage. That might be a good way to do it. I, I just haven't looked at those tests much. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, and then we move into senolytics that help to manage the presence of senescent cells. Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain for people that have never heard what a senescent cell is? <laughs> what's going yeah, on? Yeah, so that's, a, I, I was, well, that's what I was just describing yeah. as these zombie cells. So, you know, and that pathway I was describing is one of damaging the telomeres and the cell flipping into the senescent pattern. So the senescent pattern doesn't grow anymore. There's what's called the uh, senescence-associated secretory phenotype, SASP. That's when it goes into this state where it's uh, secreting pro-inflammatory cytokines and not growing. And so it becomes a source of inflammation uh, in the body there. And so if you imagine that the senescent cell is near uh, you know, uh, like fibroblasts, say it's a senescent fibroblast, then it's not going to make collagen anymore. So you look at, you know, wrinkly people, there's senescent cells down there that are no longer making collagen and elastin. Uh, and so we want to get rid of these cells. And so there's something called a senolytic, lytic or lysis means cut. So there you're going to stimulate uh, autophagy of the whole cell and you're gonna break down the senescent cell. That's sort of at the higher doses 
this happens when you get like a nice peak of these compounds that are senolytics, like quercetin. Quercetin is like the Swiss army knife of aging. Mm. AMPK, it's NRF2, it's sirtuins, and it's a senolytic. So it can do a lot of different things for you. Uh, the uh, fisetin is one that people use. It's a lot like quercetin. Ludiolin also works as one. Resveratrol and curcumin. A lot of these compounds that are doing other things, when they're in a high dose in there, they help stimulate your uh, destruction of senescent cells. But we can also move the cell back out of senescence. Uh, especially if it's early on and it's just gone into the senescent phenotype, you can pull it back out by restoring the redox potential of the cell, which means upregulating NRF2, restoring the glutathione levels, uh, having the NADPH levels up there, uh, and the cell can pull back out into a normally propagating phenotype. So you're either going to cut it out of there or rescue it. And so some people, what they'll do, they'll do real high doses you know, just uh, a couple times a month of uh, of things like quercetin and, and feistin. Uh, Dasatinib is a is a sort of a pharmaceutical that does it. And the the key is that you have to get a high dose into the blood, and that's where these nanoparticle deliveries, like the nano emulsions that we use in the AMPK charge or in the liver sauce, they are able to get these nice high peaks into the cell. Uh, we did a little bit of testing around that. You see uh, there's actually a peak of, there's uh, something called uh, beta-galactin. Beta uh, now I forget the, 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 the name of it, but it's one of the things that are made when the cell's senescent, but you also peak them in the blood when you break down a bunch of senescent cells, when you get the doses that you need for uh, to be a senolytic. And, you know, we've seen that surge of those after people taking doses of these uh, nano emulsified forms of quercetin, luteolin, and resveratrol. And that would be a couple of times a month, you're saying, as opposed to an ongoing basis. Yeah, I mean, some people do it that way, but they'll take like, you know, like 10 capsules or something to get okay. to you know, I, I think that when we're doing it, a lot of, uh, you know, in my world, we take a lot of that AMPK, and I think we're, you know, maintaining uh, the senescent cells at a pretty low level by doing that. Uh, on an ongoing basis. Okay. <clears throat> and when you were talking there, it was really interesting when you were talking about, like, collagen, for example, and elastin and these cells, if they're senescent yeah. and people are getting wrinkles. So in that situation, then, someone could be trying to do everything they possibly can, right, to optimize for collagen, even taking yeah. things like vitamin C, or they may be taking collagen and hoping it's going to have benefit. But actually, if they haven't fixed this issue, then yeah. maybe they're not going to see any reversal in wrinkling, for example. Yeah, I mean, once once that, you know, that senescent pattern has made its way down to stem cells and fibroblasts and things that regenerate, then, yeah, there's, you know, the machinery's dead in there and you can take all this stuff and it's not going to fix it. And, you know, that's why fasting is so freaking good, because fasting stimulates all of this stuff and fasting reboots uh, the immune system. It reboots all kinds of stuff. And, you know, often we just have to do, you know, we we want to be able to reverse everything without changing our diet, without doing something like fasting. But you need to do that, uh, you know, even if it's just the intermittent fasting where, you know, you know, you're maybe only having one meal a day and you're carb restricting at that. That's how you can really turn up these processes well. Mm, OK. And, you know, I'm going to share a little bit from uh, Mindy Pell's uh, webinar that she did with us last night. She wrote the book Fast Like a Girl, and she figured it all out that it's just 
with your hormone cycle in, in a monthly hormone cycle, uh, when, when you have your period and you start your cycle, that's when women should be fasting because really the hormone that needs the food and it needs the, especially the carbs, that hormone is progesterone, which is high in the second half of the cycle and low in the first half. You know, the estrogen peaks need some too, but it's really that progesterone cycle. So, you know, the first week to 10 days of your cycle is when you should be fasting more as a, as a woman. And, you know, there's one other window in there right after you ovulate uh, where you can fast a little bit more too, but most of that fertile side of the cycle needs uh, some blood sugar level and uh, some level of carbs to support the progesterone levels. Yeah, I've had Mindy to come and talk about it on the show, actually. Yeah. Okay, really, really awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love Mindy. Um, and do you think like um, with with women who exercise a lot, I guess that would be my question, right? Because exercise is a good lever yeah. for autophagy. What are your thoughts there? Because um, for women, for example, who are very lean and athletic and they don't have any weight to lose, they've got good muscle mass and they need to be supporting that. Would you then still encourage fasting if they've got a high volume of exercise? No, I think you're getting a lot of that done there. Uh, and especially if you take some of these compounds while you're, you know, before the workout, you'll get a very strong response in AMPK. Uh, and uh, you, you'll be able to get all the processes happening. It's, you know, the lean ones that just, there's, there's a fine line between uh, somebody who's fit works out and then the overtrainer, you know, so these triathletes and stuff, uh, most of them, their whole reproductive set is shut down. Mm. And uh, there's sort of an irony. There's a lot of fit people that have fatty infiltration, even in their liver, because they uh, take so many carbs for all those workout and those gels and stuff. And the sugar all the time is blocking some of that. So it, there's there's sort of a fine line where you're trying to carb restrict enough to get uh, the autophagy and with that is the lipophagy, which is burning out the fatty intrusions, but you don't want to starve out the system. Yeah, for sure. What would be the key compounds to take pre-exercise? I'm interested because I'm big, I'm kind of big on exercise daily. So. Yeah. So all those AMPK activators, especially if you, if you do some of your workout fasted. Yeah, I do. I do it first very, thing fasted. Yeah, if you do, yeah. First thing, fasted, any of those things in AMPK charts, the, the berberine, quercetin, resveratrol, you will generate high amounts of ketones. And that's good. I mean, I'm really of the mind that we don't have to be in ketosis all the time, but we need to generate ketones some period during the day. And if you take like AMPK charge and go work out, you will, you know, your ketones will be, you know, 0.8, one millimolar in the blood. And then you can go and you can eat whatever you want for the, for the rest of the day because you'll have this flush of ketones. You'll have a flush of uh, autophagy and any of the processes that go with AMPA activation. I'm going to do that for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, you. some NAD precursor before that, and then you'll get all the sirtuin, the mitochondrial biogenesis, you get the whole game. Yeah, I do energy precursors before. Yeah. So then I just yeah. add the AMPK. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so last bit in this, uh, I'm really excited by this. This is, this is fascinating. I could talk to you all evening. Um, the neuroendocrine is the last piece here yeah. in the puzzle. 
Yeah, and you know, so we're talking about neurotransmitter generation. Well, of course, we're talking about the whole hormone system, and the whole hormone system is really regulating uh, power in the body and the body morphology more than anything else is. And there's a high energy consumption for these glands to make these hormones and the neurotransmitters, and you know, nothing controls your brain space like your neurotransmitters, and so they're very mitochondrial heavy and they're easy to damage that whole system uh, through having mitochondrial damage. But think of all the toxins that are endocrine disruptors, uh, these different xenoestrogens, things like plasticizers and such that are getting in and activating uh, hormone cascades or blocking hormone receptors. So how do we work on all this? Well, we have to be detoxifying regularly. We need to keep bioflow going. We use a lot of bitters for bioflow that keeps you detoxifying, keeps you moving uh, toxins away from the hormone receptors. So, you know, you'll hear when I talk about hormones, I talk about receptors as much as I talk about the generation of the hormones. Because like androgenicity in a male is a function of the testosterone level and other androgens, but we'll just focus on testosterone and the density of the androgen receptors. Just like there's mitochondrial density, there's not a fixed number of mitochondria in the cell. We can make a more mitochondrially dense cell. There's also not a fixed number of hormone receptors. We can make higher density to the hormone receptors. And the compounds that do that increase the density of the receptors and also increase the fluidity of the receptors, their ability to, uh, to trans, uh, to take that signal and uh, and affect that into transcription in the genes, the compounds that you use for that are adaptogens. So adaptogens would be like ashwagandha, ginseng, uh, astragalus, and these have compounds in them that all end with IDES. They're ides. So ginsenosides, astragalosides. It's actually sides is the ending with sides are from ashwagandha. They all have the same core molecular uh, architecture as our steroid hormones. And that's how they interact with the hormone receptors and they stimulate transcription of more hormone receptors. So you have more hormone activity. So you need to clean the receptors you, with detox. You need to multiply the receptors with uh, the adaptogens and you need to keep the mitochondria in the uh, cells that generate the hormones, you need to keep the mitochondria high. So we see that the neuro, uh, this uh, neurotransmission and hormone side, the neuroendocrine system depends on NRF2 and AMPK to keep, the, to keep everything clean. It depends on NAD and sirtuins to keep the mitochondria active. It depends on keeping senescent cells out so they don't downregulate because that senescent pattern downregulates the production of the hormones. And of course, we don't want telomere attrition. So uh, it's depending on all of those to keep a nice, healthy system for it. Awesome. Amazing. You mentioned one, one thing I saw there, apart from like vitamin D3, in addition to these adaptogens, was phosphatidylcholine. Yeah. Um, do you find that like, do you find that something people generally need to supplement with? Well, they should. Now, there's okay. you know, some people that think that choline is bad and it's creating certain stress. Uh, and it's 
Choline is one of the most important things in the system and the body turns it into phosphatidylcholine, but you can take phosphatidylcholine straight so you don't have to do that. Now, phosphatidylcholine is an integral part of all of your cell membranes and of the membranous organelles. Now, if you look at like electron micrographs of mitochondria or of the endoplasmic reticulum, you see, you'll just see these folded up lines. It's just line, 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 line. It looks like an accordion folded up. And that's membrane all folded up. Membrane drives all biochemical power in the body by separating opposites. It's keeping the black and the white of the yin-yang symbol. It's keeping that always spinning and never coming together into gray. It's separating white and black in the body, like in the electron transport chain for making ATP. You're moving protons to one side of the inner membrane of the mitochondria where they build up and then they rush back through the machine that is ATP synthase and they generate ATP. So these membranes are driving this polarity and this coming back together, polarity and coming back together that's driving all of the biochemical power in the system. And when the membranes get damaged, they can't do this anymore. And the outer membrane of the cell gets damaged. It can't bring in nutrients and it can't get rid of toxins. So the whole cell gets disrupted. So, in fact, you know, mitochondrial therapy in Germany 30 years ago was just phosphatidylcholine, injectable and oral. They would just do it all with PC. And then the liver uses tons of phosphatidylcholine because it's dumping PC into the bioflow all the time to fluidize the bioflow and protect the bile tree from being dissolved by bile, which is a detergent. And then in the brain, you're using phosphatidylcholine to generate acetylcholine all the time. And acetylcholine is your main focus neurotransmitter. And then the brain is tons of fat, tons of membrane, and it needs lots of uh, phospholipids for building it. So uh, phospholipid is is a beautiful supplement that is just like ambrosia for the body because it does so many different things. It is amazing. If ever I like my husband, when I, when I have it, my husband always steals it, and then he's like, "Some of those brain pills." <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what he. Oh my it's god! Pretty you give instant, people, especially if they've been mold exposed and they're kind of like this. You give them PC, they're like, like wow, who's turning the lights on? Yeah, it's awesome. Last piece here, we've touched on all the way through, is toxicity, yeah. right? Particularly, yep. like, mercury interests me because, like, for example, when I did a hair tissue mineral test uh, a few months back, I noticed that the only real toxin that was coming out on it was a bit of mercury. And my selenium was low, which I think was being depleted by that mercury. Uh, yeah. I don't have any amalgams or anything like that that would, would cause that. Um, that would be from fish if it's coming fish. out in your hair. Yeah. yeah, the amalgam form of mercury doesn't go through the hair. It comes okay. uh, only through urine and stool and sweat. Interesting. Okay, so that would be from fish. It's yeah. probably because I like tuna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the ones higher in the food chain, tuna, swordfish, they have a lot of mercury in them. And so if you're going to eat fish, you want to use smaller fish. If you're going to eat tuna, you use like the chunk light or the skipjack. You don't want the albacore, the big tuna. They they can have quite a bit more. And, you know, and sometimes you're talking about like a tenfold difference in the amount of mercury in these things. And when you, if you compare like a sardine or a kipper or an anchovy to tuna, you're talking a thousandfold difference in mercury levels. You can eat those as your sole protein force source three times a day and never become toxic. 
Uh, you know, you might build up PCBs or some fat soluble, but you're not going to build up mercury. Mercury. And what's the best way for us to eliminate mercury? So the way you do mercury detox, and this is really, you know, a model for how you do all detox, but say you've got mercury, it's in a cell and it's bound onto some protein in the cell and it's blocking its function. Eventually you'll recognize that you use glutathione and an enzyme called glutathione S transferase. And the transferase gets the glute, the mercury to let go of the uh, protein it's stuck to. It will be stuck on what's called a sulfhydro group. It's a reduced sulfur group on there. It'll be stuck on there and it'll get the mercury to bind onto the sulfhydro group on glutathione. That's why it's called glutathione S transferase. Transfers the toxin onto the sulfur compound, the sulfur end of the glutathione. So then you got a mercury glutathione complex in the cell. How do you get it out of the body? You've got a transporter called the MRP, which pushes it out of the cell and it uses ATP, which is cellular energy and magnesium. So we need glutathione, we need activity of these transferase enzymes, and we need magnesium and energy, we push it out of the cell into the blood. Now it's circulating through the blood and you need the liver then to grab it, pull it into the liver, and then dump it out of the liver with the bile. Then it goes down into the GI and then you wanna poop it out, but the mercury can get reabsorbed. So you've, we wanna get glutathione levels in there. We can activate this phase two with any of those NRF2 upregulators. Then we need to couple that to bile flow to get it into the GI. And then we need a binder in the GI to grab it so you don't reabsorb it. Or it's gonna go from the blood into the urine if it's the amalgam form of mercury. Uh, if it's the fish form, it only goes through the bile and the stool. And so at a high level, if it's not a ton of mercury, you just need to keep your glutathione levels up and you'll keep moving it out. But you also got to have good bile flow, right? Yeah. 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 Then when you're really trying to get a mercury detox going, then you need the glutathione, you need the phase two activation, you need the bile flow and you need the binder. And, you know, we put all those packages together. I mean, even if you just did the push catch liver detox and some glutathione, you would do a good job on getting rid of your mercury. Cool. Super interesting. I think you've shared so much. Thank you. I really <laughs> like yeah, I was I mean, excited to go through it, it with you. Huh? You, once you get into it and you see how much mm. everything is interlinked, you know, first it seems even more complex because it's like you just want to think of one thing at a time. But eventually you come to see the whole thing happening. And you're just supporting a clean system with all the resources for all the interlocking pieces to go. And like I said, you either get on this side of it, the good side, the sirtuin side, or you get on the shitty inflammatory processes side and you're going to die early. And, and feel like shit while you're doing it. That's the thing. Yes. How long do you reckon, because I, I was reading, I think it was, um, pardon me, I was reading, I think it was actually an interview with you about like, we, we don't, we haven't proven yet, right, that we can get past 120 necessarily. What yeah. would you say, like for people looking at this, do you think we can get to a point where we, this, this is my dream, right, is you feel so good for your life. So you have amazing health span. It's less for me about how long can I live, but you feel yeah. amazing to the end, right? And then totally. hopefully you just go to sleep. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's it. You know, you want to run into the end of, there's an American movie called The Blues Brothers, and these guys drive this old cop car, car around, and there, there's huge car chases. They're all over the place, and then they get to their final destination. They get out of the car, they close the door, and the whole thing falls just into pieces. Like, and that's how you should just slamming into the end, and you just die like that. And, and that doesn't, you know, we don't need to get past 120. I mean, I get really tired of this world. You know, it's people aren't really good. <laughs> and, you know, it's like all kinds of stress all the time. And it's just like, what the hell with this? Let's leave and do something else. Uh, but I think we should routinely, like we should live really strongly past our 80s. We should pretty easily get up to around 100. And, you know, some people will make it longer, some won't, and then we check out. Uh, but, you know, it's like, now our 60s should be really solid. You know, we should be really still cruising. Uh, you know, I'm 54 now and, you know, I still hit the world pretty hard and uh, I intend to do that, you know, maybe slow down in my 70s a little bit and, you know, and just each decade just be a little, little less aggressive, but we should be able to live really full lives, you know, into our 80s. Do you think we can look good doing it? Do you think we can avoid the wrinkles? Like everyone's obsessed with just putting things into your face to avoid it. Do you think we can naturally avoid these wrinkles? Yeah, yeah. The more we learn to take out the senescent cells and keep the telomeres up and, you know, the the use, you know, the, the longevity wheel itself is going to keep a lot of that at bay. And then we're going to use peptides and stem cells to really supercharge uh, the longevity. And I think we'll be able to do that. And, you know, and then there'll be like, you know, not necessarily fillers, but there'll be topicals that support senescence, topicals that support, uh, you know, that are, you know, growth stimulators, you know, like exosomes going topical, uh, peptides going topical, and we'll be able to look good. I mean, there's only so much you can do. You're not going to look like you when you're, 70 or 80, you're going to lose something. We're going to lose, yeah. I know. And what, you know, I was uh, with one of my favorite hormone doctors, Lauren Bramley, we did a, we did an interview together. And you guys are in good shape because you're starting early. You know, we didn't really come to this stuff until it was like too late. You know, I'm like, oh shit, you know, I've been running this company so long, I'm totally gray. Oh wait, there's all these longevity things. Let's start taking those. They really just came on the scene. And so if you start doing this, uh, you know, certainly in your forties, and what she was saying is the 40 to 50 decade is the most significant aging that we will see. That the, the flip between those two is kind of jarring and you're like, whoa, that was a big jump. Now I feel better. Is that now, as true for men as it is for women? Yeah. Like, oh you yeah. Know, like women oh yeah. Menop- okay. Interesting. Absolutely. You know, that's when you know if you're going to lose it, you lose your hair, and you know it goes gray, and uh, until you jump on these things and bring them back, you know, you you, you know, it's a pretty significant uh, decade. So if we start these things in our late 30s, 40s, and we're doing that maintenance to keep all the, you know, the dead cells out and stuff and get rid of the senescent stuff, stimulate uh, telomeres and all these things, we will look better in, you know, in, in our late age. Exactly. You know, for me, it's like, you just got to stop the aging. You just got to No, because stop. I was going to say, hang on a minute, for, every, for anyone that can't see you, you have amazing skin. You have great oh. skin. So this is, this is not true. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you're being yeah, a little yeah. harsh there. People are generally like, you know, your skin's pretty good. Mm. And that's, you know, that's from taking phosphatidylcholine all the time. You know, I take Do you think the- that's for, for the skin, you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a really good one. I ran out and getting some more of that. Yeah. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Thank you so much. I feel like I could go on and on, but I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where can they buy? In the UK, how do we get hold of Quicksilver? Uh, we can buy it, right? There's different, actually, yeah, there's different yeah, companies that do it as oh, well here. Geez, what is it? Is it Skinny Raw? I And I get it as well from Amrita Nutrition. Amrita has it, and yeah. I think it's Skinny Raw. You can find it on our website. There's a list of international distributors. Uh, and those two companies are the ones. There's also one called The Hut Group. Uh, which is an online, they have some of our stuff. It's a direct to consumer. It was just released. Uh, and we just opened up that site in the UK. So you can find them on there too. I will list those because Amrita is practitioner only and I want to do direct to consumer. So thank you. We'll look those yeah. out at the show is Direct to consumer. And I think Skinny Raw does it too. And then if you're in the US or Canada, straight to Quicksilver. Or yeah, straight to Quicksilver. And we have a, we, we do have a, a store on Amazon as well. Awesome. We will link to that. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. So Dr. Christopher Shade on Instagram, uh, Quicksilver Scientific on Instagram. There's uh, Facebook Quicksilver Scientific as well. And of course, if you just get onto our website and sign up for our newsletters, you'll get uh, a lot of the activities, uh, you know, things that we're doing. You'll, You'll be kept up to date on that. Amazing. If you're a practitioner, go onto our website and get a practitioner uh, account, even if you're getting from a distributor for you're in another country, because that's where all of the education resources are. Oh. Uh, they're behind the login there for the, the practitioner. There's a lot of resources on our website, but if you have a practitioner account, there's vastly more available to you. Amazing. I've made a note of that myself. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. If you're a practitioner and you want to learn more uh, about how to do all of this, uh, not only are there 30 webinars that I've done in the practitioner resources, but there's a learning management system called Quicksilver Scientific Institute. And if you go in there, it's free to use. Uh, There's a detox module that takes you through metal testing, metal detox, general detox, gets all of this, it gets you wrapped around all of this. And we have a hormone module coming that teaches you how to use our hormone line as well. Awesome. I'm going to dive in there. Thank you. And I'm sure many listeners will too. Thank you so much. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey to vibrant health and high performance. Make sure you check out the show notes for a summary of all the important links to everything we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the follow button and share it with a friend on social media or leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, achieving high performance health is about getting 1% better each day. So think about one thing you learned from today's episode and start implementing it today. Share with me what you've learned on social media over at Angela S. Foster. I love hearing from you and connecting with you. Have a beautiful day and always remember you are worthy of your dreams.